When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm gonna be answering your questions, which by the way, is a reminder, if you wanna get your questions answered, submit to connect at impacttheory.com. Can we change that in real time so that it's questions or AMA, AMA at impacttheory.com? AMA at impacttheory.com. We're just actually gonna need to make that email address, but by the time you hear this, that email address will have been made. Poor Chase has been drowning, sifting through because everything goes to connect. So if you have a question, send that question to ama at impacttheory.com and he's setting an alarm right now. All right, guys, thank you so much for submitting the questions. Always incredibly meaningful. And the first one is from Natasha Shivani. Hi, Tom, my question is in relation to learning. I believe learning in itself is a skill. I've been trying to build my self-esteem around being an avid learner, but I've noticed that it's not, it, I've noticed, but what I've noticed is that I'm not learning at a fast pace. Could you break down some skills required for efficient learning? I know repetition and doing things routinely over and over again is advised, but what else? If you had to break down learning skills into five simple steps, what would they be? How does one monitor efficient learning and improve on this? Um, all right, I wish I had a piece of paper and a pencil. I could actually give you five precisely, um, but I will go off the top. Okay, so number one is gonna be area of interest. I find that the biggest thing to learning is having the enthusiasm that everything that you encounter actually gives you more energy and you're excited to go down the path and there's just like, you wanna share it, you wanna tell people and talk about it. That's really, really big. So identifying the things that you enjoy learning about, um, that's really big. And I'll give you an example. So Lisa, when I first met her, the thing that she loved learning about, and I don't know how to take this, uh, was serial killers, man. She went hard for that serial killer cake. And that was always really interesting to me. Like getting her to read nonfiction was next to impossible unless it was about serial killers. Now, thankfully, uh, she has found a broader array of interests other than that. But quite frankly, like don't even let me be judgy judgy about that. The whole point is to find something that you dig and start going down those rabbit holes. So that's really big. Um, number two, in terms of being efficient while you're learning is finding what method it is that you learn by. So for me, um, I can listen to things really, really fast, far faster than I can read them. Um, and then also I learn by doing. So if I go do something, it's really going to ingrain itself in my mind far more rapidly than it would if I were just reading or even listening to it. So knowing the styles in which you learn. I think that that is really important. Um, next, uh, a mad shout out to my boy Jim Quick who talks that um, about there's no bad memory, there's just a trained and untrained memory. So part of learning efficiently is being able to retain as much as humanly possible about what you learn so that every brick of knowledge is really stacking on itself and not you know like a sandcastle that just uh, dissipates before your eyes. I will say that I live in perpetual trauma over how little I remember uh, of what I read. Um, so that's always something that's been profoundly troubling. Um, so, uh, 
And then I'll say um, number four this is a little cheeky, uh, but I'll say speed reading, like learning to read faster. I find that there's just some things that I want to learn about that aren't, uh, I don't have access to auditorily. So I'm actually trying to improve your reading speed, which is a place that I'm ridiculously uh, underqualified to speak to uh, because I'm still a painfully slow reader. Um, but I have tried to push myself a little bit to speed up, but never taken anything like a um, speed reading course or anything like that. So Jim Quick somewhere right now is just deeply um, unhappy with the amount of energy that I've put in there, and rightly so. And then five, what would I give you for a fifth in terms of being efficient at learning? I don't have an easy one that comes to mind. So there you go. You have four. I think those are four strong ones. Uh, I'm sure if I wasn't just absolutely terrified of dead air, I could come up with a fifth, uh, but that'll do for now. So next question is from Evan Bradford. I recently came into a small amount of money for a uh, small amount of money for most, but to me, aha, I get it. I'm having trouble reading today. I recently came into a small amount of money to most people, but to me, it's enough to turn my life around. Uh, how do I switch from that poverty mindset, which will see me turn back into a drug addict who can't hold a job down? I'm currently scrambling to get a job. How do I turn that? How do I turn that to once of to a mindset? I think is what we mean. How do I turn that to a mindset of abundance and financial intelligence? Okay, well, let's start with the financial intelligence portion, uh, which is far easier to answer. So that's just a question of getting educated. So really going and learning financial literacy, removing your emotions from the equation. I think a lot of times people spend their money, they invest their money in ways that have everything to do with their emotions or um, if what they think they're capable of instead of a very hard and fast set of rules. And I think that um, I grow more and more convinced every day that um, I need to write a book about the, the beliefs, values, and rules that should sit at the center of your life. Um, I think that that might be the area where I could be most useful to people. So having a set of rules by which you govern your investment strategy is a very smart answer. So for instance, if you said something like, I pay me first, as they say. So you're going to save um, a some portion of your money first. So let's say that you're gonna save 20% of the money that you earn every uh, paycheck. Okay, great. So then second to that, I think would be making sure that you're paying your bills and all of that. And the reason that you would save the money first is you should never be living a lifestyle that you can't save the 20%. So that's why I put bills in second place because you just shouldn't have so many bills that you can't save the 20% first. So you save the 20%, then you pay your bills, then whatever is left over, um, you split between things like entertainment, education, whatever the case may be. But actually, as I say that, I would probably put education in second place uh, so that you're saving money, spending money on education, and then whatever you have left, you begin to build a lifestyle, renting an apartment or whatever. I would sleep on in the basement in my parents' house or a friend's house or whatever uh, before I would step too far outside of that. And I think there's a lot of things that you could learn for free. So you may not have to invest that much money into education. Um, but that's really how I would think about that. Just getting financially literate, having a set of rules around your life uh, so that you actually can save money. And then cutting your expenses to the quick is, is super important. Now, a mindset of poverty is a whole separate thing. And I will be honest, when people say, oh, you know, think like there's always gonna be an abundance of money coming to you, that's never rang true to me. That seems like a sure way to miss rent. Because I think what people hear with that is go piss your 
your money away on champagne, essentially. And so you get people popping bottles and they can't pay their rent and that's absurd. So um, I would say that's pretty bad advice. That doesn't mean that you don't try to think about, hey, I can get to a point where I'm, I am useful enough, my skill set is powerful enough that I can make as much money as I want. That kind of abundance I'm all for, but understanding that you have to do the work to actually get the skills that you need to go out and be marketable. It is not simply that, oh, by thinking money will come to you, that money actually comes to you. In fact, the wealth that I've built in my life is because I've been paranoid that I would be broke. And even now that I have a lot of money, I still am hyper aware of money's transience and that if I'm not abundantly careful that I will lose that money. So I think that served me and I think that's part of the reason that I've been able to amass wealth is I don't just think, oh, money comes so easily. I've had to bust my ass. Um, I just don't limit what I allow myself to dream about or pursue actively. I just am really realistic. Now, the third part of this question, which is maybe the most interesting, is that what you're really asking is how do you not go back to a life of addiction? Now, I'm not the right person to answer that question from a I have lived it perspective because I do not have an addictive personality, but I will say follow my logic and tell me what you think. So first of all, if you try not to become an addict, turning your life around and making sure that you're doing a few key things I think is going to be really, really important. Number one, you need an absolutely pathological bright line about not using. Number two, you need to have your identity wrapped around the fact that even though you want to use, you don't use. If you try to build your identity around not having the desire, I think you will fall down. Uh, Number three, I think being a part of some sort of 12-step-like program. It doesn't have to be actually 12 steps. Um, And I've heard compelling arguments on both sides that 12 steps are brilliant and they're the thing that will save your life. And other people who say that the 12 steps are completely outdated. And as we've grown as a society, we haven't grown our um, addiction recovery procedures and I am not the person to answer that. I will just say that something that is focused on recovery and staying sober that is uh, well tried and true by other people plugging into a community is probably the most important thing and the most fascinating thing that I've heard about 12-step programs is step 12, actually mentoring somebody else is like the step and that if you never do step 12, that it just doesn't stick. And so having other people that rely on you staying sober sounds like it's a pretty powerful thing. And then also making sure that none of your friends engage in the kind of behavior that you need to stay away from because you will over time become like your friends. So if your friends are using, I promise you'll return to using. So um, that's really how you shift that. Now remember that identity and values drive behavior. So if you wanna change your behavior, change your identity, change your values, um, and make those things the burning core of who you are. Um, And then I would say getting around other people that struggle in the same way that you struggle but that are staying sober is going to be really critical to being understood, to being in a group that can create that kind of um, beneficial um, peer pressure I think is, is really, really important. All right, Ben. Sometimes I get super motivated and decide I'm going to sort myself out and start living up to my potential, etc. This motivation lasts two or three days, even a week, but inevitably it disappears. I've realized in order to sustain this for a much longer period of time, I'm going to have to cultivate a deep desire and want for those improvements and changes. Any ideas on how I can develop that deep want and longing for self-improvement actualization and sustain that motivation? I'm fed up of failing in my efforts to make a lasting change. Okay, so 
I've talked about this so endlessly, so I really want to um, come at this from a, a different angle and arm you guys with different tools. Um, something that I think is really underutilized is sitting in the pain. This is not the lead thing. The lead thing, of course, is identity and values um, and just the actual act of embodying that deep desire, saying that you want to do it, letting it fill you at like a, a muscle level so that you're actually doing things that make you feel that desire and how much you want it. Okay, so, but I've talked a lot about that. Um, sitting in the pain, I think that is really something. And I think that um, shame when properly utilized can be really, really empowering. But you have to understand that you can't ever let it um, be shame of who you are. It is merely shame around your behavior and understanding that your behavior can change at a moment's notice at any time and that doing something shameful does not make you a shameful person. It does not make you an unworthy person. We all do things that we're ashamed of. And the thing that has always saved me from that shame becoming crippling because I do look at it, I do stare at it, I sit in that, I allow myself to really feel it and it does not feel good. And instead of like getting that initial feeling of shame and then doing anything I can to wallow in the um, the psychological immune system, which is going to tell me that, no, 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 why are you feeling bad about that? You don't need to feel bad about that. And just swimming around in the luxurious feeling that I shouldn't feel guilty about that, that I really should just be thinking about how that's somebody else's fault or that's a stupid thing to chase in the first place. What I do instead is I remind myself, okay, I can change it anytime. So just because I've done really dumb things in the past does not mean that I'm going to keep doing them. I'm capable of change. So it's like some part of me goes, okay, rad. It's safe to sit here for a minute. It's safe to look at how I really fucked that up, how I really did something stupid because it doesn't make me a bad person. And looking at this and letting myself feel the pain is exactly how I'm going to make the change. Now, the key part there is that I have, remember, I've let myself off the hook. I don't need to self-flagellate myself, which means essentially whip yourself or beat yourself up over it. I don't have to do that. So once I get, this is not a permanent state of affairs. This is not an indictment of who I am as a person. It's just an indictment of that behavior. And because I want to stop doing it, I need to suffer a little. And so as Ray Dalio says, pain plus reflection equals progress. I need to feel that pain. So now I've let myself off the hook. I understand that this doesn't make me a bad person, but it sucks and I don't want to keep feeling like this. So I really want to look at this for a minute and figure out what led me to do that thing. And I literally use that pain as um, like, if you've ever seen people that walk with that, like water, the divining rod that they use to find water. I use that as something that is leading me towards the cause of that pain. So what is the root cause of that? What is the identity or the value that I have that leads me to that behavior? And how do I get out of that? And so that is, I think, something that is really important to making um, self-improvement stick, to keeping that motivation going is, okay, I really don't want to feel this pain anymore. I'm actually staring at and figuring out what it is that's causing that pain. And then I'm reminding myself that I can make a change at any time. Now, if none of that works, you need to read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. In the book Grit, she talks a lot about how it is very easy for any of us to get excited about something and then for that excitement to dissipate. And one of the things that I struggle with is maybe some people just don't give a shit. And there's not a chip on their shoulder and there's nothing that they need. And what they really should be doing is adjusting how they view success 
and maybe they've just bought into a delusion that I perpetuate that they need to play at that level. And I have said a thousand times, you have no moral obligation to want to play on a world stage like I want to play on a world stage. And maybe what people should be doing is breaking down what is the sickness that drives me, that makes me need to succeed at that level, that makes me want to, even though I've had an unimaginable amount of success, that I still fucking come back for more and that I'm still working on a slow week, 80 hours a week. Now, I think that what people will come up with is that is my answer for fulfillment. But why my fulfillment is fed at scale, I don't know. And that I think is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. And I do wonder sometimes if people are chasing the wrong dragon. And if people that think that they need to do something grand at big scale are actually, it's not true. And maybe what would be an unimaginably amazing life for you is to cut your expenses to the quick, to read a book when you want to read a book, to play a video game when you want to play a video game, to hang out with your friends when you want to, to smoke a bowl. And my thing is, if you feel fulfilled doing that, then you've already won. Because literally, success is about fulfillment. It is not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about anything that anybody um, would write an article in the New Yorker saying, this is success. It literally is just fulfillment. So make sure that you're chasing something that makes sense. The Rich Roll episode really hit me on a personal level and I was hoping you may be able to steer me in the right direction with the current situation I'm in. The relationship I'm in is still on the verge of ending because we aren't happy anymore and we haven't been for quite some time until we recently found out she's seven weeks pregnant. After giving the relationship some renewed effort and thought, I still feel we aren't right for each other. But with her carrying my child now, I feel stuck and I don't know what to do. I also know I'm only 25 and not stable or ready for this at all. Okay, well, we're going to set aside the not ready because we're already um, headed down that path. So uh, the child is coming, whether we want the child to come or not. Um, So, and look, I don't have kids, so you're just going to have to follow my logic here. But here's what everybody says, and I tend to believe the wisdom of the crowd on this one. You're never going to be ready. And so while I'll say it is a far cry from ideal to be having a kid at 25, 26, you are having a kid at 25, 26. Now, You will, I think, if you put an earnest amount of effort into um, learning about that and then one embracing the massive and wonderful change that will happen neurologically when you have that child and invest in making that as great as it can be, I think that that may become one of the, the single most beautiful things that's ever happened to you. And this becomes a framing problem. So again, the best advice that I've ever had about having a kid is have a kid, don't have a kid. It doesn't matter, but whatever you do, do it all the way. You're having a kid. Don't spend any time resenting that, regretting it, none of it. It's not going to serve you. So find a way to integrate that child into your life in a way that is beautiful and profound and amazing, and it will reward you a thousandfold if you go into doing that. Now, there are people that have achieved at every possible level in life that have kids, and the same with people that don't have kids. So I literally don't think it is a choice that really ultimately is going to make or break your life. Um, So you're going to now commit 
to finding the maximum amount of beauty in the situation that you're in. Okay, now setting all of that aside, I don't think that that means that you have to stay with your significant other. And I think if you define what it means to be a man to you and to be a good man, and I will just give you from my own. I'm not saying you should adopt these. Um, I am saying, however, that I believe you should adopt them. Um, but adopt whatever feels right to you. So I believe that if you want to be somebody of high integrity, that whether you're in love with that person, whether you're going to stay with that person or not is completely irrelevant to the level of support that you provide that person, both emotional and financially. So to me, entirely to me, that child would be 50% my responsibility from a financial standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, and I would make sure that I delivered on that. And that's just the way that I see the world. So um, even if I wasn't staying with that person, I would make sure that they had what they needed for Lamaze classes and things like that. Um, that they had all the emotional support that they need. I would treat them like a friend and I would be there for them at every turn. And by the way, I would understand what they're going through emotionally and that it is going to be difficult, that there's going to be a lot of heartache and hurt and all of that and to still be graceful through all of that. Um, I think it will be very difficult, especially at your age, to navigate the emotion of the breakup as well as being supportive and being there. And I get that, and I have no idea what your significant other is like, um, but I just wanna make sure that we separate the two issues. And I think that getting sucked into a relationship because you wanna support the wife and a relationship because you want to um, support the child, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that dysfunctional relationships end up teaching the kid the wrong thing. And I think that there is a way to co-parent um, that creates for an emotionally, um, as emotionally positive a relationship as you're going to be able to have. Now, I also hope for the child that they will have um, a, you know, one of each in their lives, both a, a father figure and a mother figure uh, in an ongoing basis, whether that's you or she gets remarried or, you know, in a relationship. Um, I think that that would be pretty effective, but that is my advice is to separate those two things out um, to understand that you could be supportive without being in a relationship. Uh, and again, all of this, or not again, but this is all predicated on the fact that you've accurately assessed that this is not a relationship that you want to be in, um, which I will certainly take your word for. Um, so yeah, there you have it. All right, Evan Renfro. You often express the belief that human potential is nearly limitless, but action is a key element that allows it. Do you feel it's a process of establishing this mindset first before action? So one must first possess the mental resilience and grit before taking on great endeavors, or do you believe the mindset comes after witnessing and experiencing some of these abilities through acting on them? Um, go back to the top for a second. So I think that mindset is really, uh, there's no way to strip it apart from action. I think that all of us are developing our mindset every day. I just think that we have to be very careful to understand that the mindset is a choice. So even if you see terrible things happening, things falling apart, that the world looks half empty, that you could still decide that the glass is half full and that you're gonna make a series of decisions. And whatever you decide to believe about the way the world works, either the world's working for you or it's against you or you live, as Einstein said, in either a hostile or a friendly universe, like all of those are decisions. And you're gonna see before you every single day examples of both. And if you don't see it in your own life, if your life is weighted one direction or the other, man, you need only go read autobiographies to see examples of horrifying things happen to otherwise amazing people or amazing things happening when it just seemed like nothing else could go wrong. So 
trust me when I say that you could go find evidence of good things happening and bad things happening and now you're just going to get to decide which which ones of those you focus on. Might I suggest that you focus on the positive, you focus on optimism only because those are the things that are going to get you to act. So here's my obsession with optimism. When you believe that your energies and efforts will be rewarded with you improving in something, making progress in something, then and only then will you put in the energy to adapt. And if you put in the energy to adapt, then you can grow and get better and actually become capable of more and thusly accomplish more in your life. If you don't believe that your energies and efforts will be rewarded with improvement, then you won't act. And if you're not acting, you won't adapt. If you don't adapt, then you won't progress in life. It is that simple. And I think that progress is one of the fundamental building blocks of fulfillment. If you're not moving forward in life, you're just never going to be happy. And that is just a truth, man. As a species, we seem to have something innate, something absolutely hardwired in us to want to explore and Conquers the wrong word because it has weird connotations, but I love that word, so I'm going to use it. Uh, we want to explore and conquer our environments. So that's that, that need for progress, the need to move forward. You conquer land. You want to conquer the sea. You conquer the sea. You want to conquer space. It's like, that's just what we do. So get after it. Ono oh, Northy. Hi, Tom. In regards to decision overwhelm, I imagine there are two variables. Maximum decision-making capacity and speed of regeneration. Any tips on enhancing these stats? All right, first I have to figure out what you mean by regeneration. Um, So I'm guessing what you mean is getting back to neutral. How fast you can do that? Uh, Meaning something is overwhelming you, how fast can you sort of detox from that? Um, If that's not what you mean, I will say that that's absolutely one of them. Um, How quickly you can get out of the parasympathetic and into the sympathetic, which I will say once you get good at, happens in a matter of seconds. Uh, And even if you're in like a full-blown like anxiety attack, that you can back out of that within minutes for sure um, if you're practicing meditation and things like that. Um, Back up to the question. Thank you. Uh, So um, maximum decision-making capacity. That's something interesting, and I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that. Um, That could be read as just straight intellect or IQ, um, which certainly will play a factor in this, but I would say the bigger thing is volatility. So if you were to take a big five personality trait test, where do you rank on volatility? Meaning how um, reactive are you to things? Are you high strung? Are you more mellow? And I think that no matter where you start, you can learn to lower that. So if you are very high strung, you can learn to uh, calm that down or at least speed up your ability to get to that, what you're calling regeneration uh, point. So um, it's going to start with meditation. I think you're also going to throw in some value system like I value myself or being even keel, right? That's something that personally I value in myself. So I've gotten more... um, calm over time, less reactive over time because I value that in myself. So when I feel a big reaction coming, uh, I try to release it partly by just diaphragm breathing, which is a big deal, partly through what I call downshifting because that is exactly how it feels in real life. I feel like I am downshifting out of a higher gear. Like I can feel my mind speeding up. I can feel my muscles tensing um, and I want to downshift back into a slower mode, believe it or not, a slower mode of thought 
um, to relax my muscles, to even um, just sort of soften my posture, to breathe from my diaphragm, all things that are going to rapidly move me out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight, the sense of aggression, that everything is speeding up, the intensity. Um, th you want to get out of that uh, as fast as possible. And when you practice those things, then I think that you'll, you'll find you'll be able to get out of that. But I will say that's a little different than decision overwhelm. Decision overwhelm also has to do, get ready, with managing your blood sugar. And I find that when people's blood sugar drops too much because they are a sugar burner and they're not able to uh, mobilize body fat, that they have these wild swings based on their diet. And my gut is that um, decision overwhelm is partly being hangry. So getting that under control and making sure that you're metabolically flexible so that you can go from fat metabolism to glucose metabolism uh, relatively rapidly. You'll find that food has, or hunger more specifically, has less of an impact on you, and I think that that's important. Um, so I'm realizing we could sort of tendril out into a lot uh, of arenas on that, but those will get you started. All right, Alice Chu. Do you ever find yourself struggling to find the right balance between your business, your personal needs, e.g. meditation, and the relationships in your life? Any advice would be appreciated. So yes, I definitely do, partly because I don't prize balance at all, uh, but I do prize being emotionally connected to my wife. So there are very much times where, in fact, right now has been one of them where um, I just, it's been a crazy couple weeks, and the big problem is that for three weekends in a row, I'm uh, either traveling or I have an all-weekend event. And so normally it's the weekends that I put my wife first, and so when those go away, then I know that I'm gonna be in trouble. So one of the ways that I look at this is just purely mechanically. So if I don't have the weekends or I'm not spending time with my wife, um, that's one. So I can look at a calendar and tell you, oh, I'm gonna have a problem during this period, even long before I get there, long before I have any emotion to, to follow. Um, so that's one, mechanical. Just how many hours are you spending on the things that you care about? You can map all this out. Uh, the second one is emotion. So where are my emotions telling me? Am I feeling disconnected from my wife? Um, do I have a yearning to spend time with friends? And I listen to those. So here's the irony to me about being known as sort of the grinded out guy. Yes, I work very hard. And yes, I consider 80-hour weeks to be sort of um, me goofing around. Uh, if, I, if I drop down to 80 hours in a week, I admittedly... Um, do start thinking, woof, I need to, to really put in some time and energy here. But because I never judge myself, if I feel like I need a day off or a night off or whatever, I will take a fucking random Tuesday and be like, I'm not working anymore right now for whatever reason. Um, I want to reconnect with my wife or I just want to go do something. I want to go, um, you know, uh, sit in my comic book room and read comics or organize comics or whatever. And, and I don't go, oh man, like that's bullshit, dude. Like you're letting yourself down. But the reality is that I leave it all out on the field all the time. So I just don't have any sense of um, guilt or shame around that. Like part of the reason I know that I'll never burn out is because I pursue doggedly only the things that I love and care about. And whenever I need time off, I take that time off. So that that's the key. And if you're if your identity is that of like always working and you know never needing time off or anything like that, then I think you're ultimately gonna self-destruct because I just think that the, unfortunately, the human ability to generate ATP um, is limited. And so there are definitely times where you run out of energy. And then also I think that there are just natural um, 
you know, moments where it's like, I'm not feeling this, whatever this is right now, even if it's something that you really believe in and you're willing to dedicate your life to it, I just think there's times where you're like, meh, I'm not feeling it today. And look, a lot of times where I'm not feeling it, I'll still push myself, but if I get to a point where I'm like, no, 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 for real, I need a day off, then I just take it. And I, getting to know yourself enough to know, is this one of those things that I need to push through, like with, um, pain in in the gym. Is this pain that is like because you're working hard and you're a badass or is this pain because you're about to tear your bicep from the bone? And if you can't tell the difference, you're fucked. And you need to get to the point where you can tell the difference and you really need to value um, having something that's sustainable and to make sure that you're pursuing the things that fill you up and aren't taking away from you. And maybe that's the easiest way for me to explain the days where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take time off. When it's starting to take away from me, then I just stop. So, and that's not a stop forever, but that's like a random Tuesday stop. Um, And so once you are leaving it all out on the field and you can trust yourself to know the difference between good pain and bad pain, then it just becomes really, really clear. All right, guys, that's gotta be it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I really appreciate the questions that you guys send in and the um, more unique the question, the happier I am. So ask me about that crazy shit that you've had on your mind. And by the way, if you want to remain anonymous because you're really asking some crazy shit, go for it. I'm down for that. I'm about it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.